Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me also welcome you this morning, and let me invite you to hear these words from Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And I could just as easily have read similar words from 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, where Paul also compares the church to a body and identifies different gifts in the body. Well, not only is today the first Sunday of 2022, we are beginning a five-week series titled Gifted. Uh, We talked about perhaps delaying it a week, but with everything that had already been prepared, we decided to press on. Uh, A series titled Gifted with three particular areas of emphasis. Number one, uh, we are the body of Christ. Hopefully you remember the series we did last fall titled From Me to Us. As Paul put it in the text I read just a moment ago, each member belongs to all the others. And so the importance of our commitment to one another, the importance of our commitment to the body of Christ. Number two, all of us are gifted in order that the body might grow and build itself up in love, in order that we might be the presence of Christ in the world. And number three, a challenge for each of us to engage in ministry in the life of this church uh, to help us to be aware of all of the different opportunities that exist at Monterey over this next month. You're going to have the opportunity to hear from a number of our ministry staff members, to hear from some of our elders. I believe you'll be blessed as we share with you what God is doing in and through this church family. But maybe the beginning place on the first Sunday of a new year is to remind ourselves of what is most important. What is at the heart of one who is a follower of Jesus? And so let me also invite you to hear these words from Matthew chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. We're at that point in the Gospel of Matthew where both the Sadducees and the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus with their questions. And so the Pharisees come, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, words that every Jew would have recited every day, words from Deuteronomy that we know as the Shema. And then Jesus says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Words from Leviticus chapter 19, words that are at the very heart of the instructions that are given in the book of Leviticus. And then Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Or as the gospel of Mark puts it, there is no commandment greater than these. 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. And all of them are important because all of them are given by God. But we also recognize that there are some commands that strike at the very heart of covenant relationship. And so back up for just a moment, typical of many of us, it wasn't unusual for the teachers of the law to argue about these commands, these 613 in the Old Testament law, which one is the most important? How do we rank them? And in an effort to trap Jesus, they come asking, so what do you think? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, here are the two principles that matter most. The two that are at the heart of a covenant relationship with God. Love God, love your neighbor. You get those two right Everything else falls into place. You get those two wrong, you've missed the point. And so several years ago, as we studied and reflected on who God is calling us to be as a church family, we refined our mission statement to simply say, love God, love others. Simple words, yet incredibly profound words that should challenge us every day of our lives. Love God love others. And to flesh out how we lean into that mission every day, we identified five values, the kind of church that we want to be, the kind of church we believe God is calling us to be. We pursue a culture that is marked by worship, belonging, presence, sacrifice, and discipleship. I want you to hear the way we describe the value of worship especially in light of the words I just read from Matthew 22. Here, here are the words that describe it. Our response to God's grace is to worship Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. In a world that worships power, image, and wealth, and we could have included any number of other words, in a world that worships power, image, and wealth, we submit our lives to God, offering our work play and rest as living sacrifices to him. And we reference Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, words that immediately precede the words I read at the beginning. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. While I want to be very careful in saying one value is more important than others, the reality is that worship is foundational to everything that we are about. All of us, in fact, we could speak of every living person on this planet, all of us worship someone or something, and that shapes our entire lives. The beauty of worship to God is that worship leads us to be a holy people. 
Worship leaves us to be the kind of church where folks can experience love, where they can find a place to belong. Worship leaves us to be the presence of Jesus in our world. Worship leaves us to be a people of sacrifice. Worship leaves us to want to be more and more like Jesus and to see others come to know Jesus as well. You see, worship transforms our lives. And there are two sides of worship. The importance and the power of this corporate worship gathering because we are a body. We belong to each other. We do not live in isolation. We need the encouragement that comes in being together, worshiping God together. But also a recognition that all of life is worship, as Paul puts it. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices which is our true and proper worship to God. It is this incredible rhythm. Our worship together honors God, but also empowers us to pursue a daily life of worship. And so Paul will add, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Literally, the idea is, do not let the world press you into its mold. Rather, you be transformed. Surrender your heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. And so maybe an appropriate question on the first Sunday of a new year is, what would it look like if all of us chose to do that? If we saw every part of our lives as an opportunity to worship God, to honor God. In my judgment, our time together in worship <clears throat> only makes sense and becomes even more important when we grab hold of the idea that all of life is worship. In fact, when we grab hold of that idea that all of life is worship, it changes everything. It changes how I look at God. It changes how I look at life. Now, I want you to hear me clearly because someone might say, well, if all of life is worship, then the assembly really doesn't matter. I can worship God just as easily by myself as I can in this assembly. And I would beg to differ. If all of life is worship, then that makes this assembly even more important. You see, when God's people gather, something extraordinary happens. Whether it's a thousand of us or 50 of us, something extraordinary happens. God renews us. These moments help us to focus our hearts and our minds on what really matters. These moments prepare us to step back into that daily life of worship. On another note, the danger is that we often separate our lives into categories. For example, we might conclude that what happens in this assembly is sacred. What happens outside of this assembly is not sacred. I hope you recognize that's not biblical, but if that's the approach that one takes, then that approach also affects how we look at our work, our play, our rest. We risk the danger of not seeing every part of our lives as worship and sacrifice to God. When we separate our lives into categories, it's possible to go to extremes, to think if we show up at church, if we check the box, then how we live the rest of the week really doesn't matter. Hopefully, again, that's an extreme that none of us would ever run to, but it's a danger of not seeing all of life as worship. You see, Paul is describing this incredible scenario 
where all of life is offered in sacrifice to God. Not just an hour on Sunday, not just when we gather with other believers, but all of life. And again, when we grab hold of that idea that all of life is worship, it affects how we look at everything, including this assembly. In fact, let me invite you to think about this assembly for just a moment from both a vertical and a horizontal vantage point. Our focus on God and our focus on one another. From a vertical vantage point, worship is always about God. Whether we're talking about a life of worship or the worship that we share together in this assembly, worship is always about God, not about us. In fact, true worship gets our focus off of ourselves and on to God. And that reorients our lives. That brings renewal. Worship is our response to God for who He is and for what He's done. Worship is about the God who brings deliverance to our lives. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we celebrate that each time we gather on Sunday through communion. In worship, we praise the God who has delivered us, who has made us new, not just individually, but together as a body of believers. And then from a horizontal vantage point, the worship gathering is indeed for one another. In fact, when the New Testament talks about the assembly, we're reminded that we are a body, that we share life together. And so we sing to God, but we also sing to encourage one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Paul says. We pray to God, but we also lift our request to God for one another. We teach the Word of God to encourage and challenge one another. We give to God, but we give to bless and encourage others. And then again in communion, we focus on Christ, but we also affirm one another. We affirm and celebrate the unity that is ours in Christ. The incredible blessing of this worship gathering that empowers us for a daily life of worship a life of holiness, a life of service, a life of worship in our work, in our rest, in our play. And to help me flesh that out just a bit more, let me invite Sam to join me on the stage again this morning. Sam, if I've counted correctly, is in his eighth year of ministry at Monterey uh, as our worship minister. Some of you are like, what? Yeah. yeah. And so a, a rather unique role in, in many, many respects. And so we put up that slide a few minutes ago that identified uh, our value of worship, both as a worshiper and as a worship minister, a worship leader. Uh, what does that value, uh, what does that wording mean to you or say to you? Uh, well, I think you said it great a minute ago when you were talking about both the individual and the corporate aspects of it. You know, what we do together is important um, as well as what we do in our individual lives. And so I think, I th I think it's hard to separate those two from, from one another. Um, and the, the, one of the things that comes to my mind is, is the verse that you read too from Romans where Paul talks about um, offering our bodies, not just our voices, not just our one hour a week, not just our, but our whole selves. And so I think that that's, that's definitely something that comes to my mind as well. And then I think about like a two-week cycle of a Christian, maybe, or what a typical two-week cycle might look like. And generally speaking, uh, you know, a typical Sunday, what I experience here, what you experience, what we experience together, uh, I, I believe that that Sunday 
impacts the Monday through Saturday that we that we walk into, and so uh, it's it's important. And then that week actually, I believe, impacts the next Sunday that we spend time together with, and then again that Sunday impacts the following week. And so it's it's kind of like this. I think of it as like a cycle that we kind of go through where Sundays together impacts Monday through Saturday individually, and then what we experience individually comes back around and then impacts the next week. Um, and I, I think the cycle is something that is, it's always been a part of the church and our life together. And so I find that, I find that very important. And, and my role in that is, is kind of holding those two in tension together and going, okay, we have the corporate, but we also have the, the individual. And so how do we, how do we hold those in tension together? It's not a bad tension. It's just, a, it's a, it's a good tension. It's a healthy tension. It's not either or it's, it's both and, and, and both are important. And so how do we as a church carry those two dimensions then that's that's kind of what I get to walk in every day. Okay, so not one of the questions that was included, uh, but but how how do you do that? How do I how do I walk in yeah, how intention? Do you, how do you walk in that tension? Uh, well, I, I, for me personally, uh, it's it's remembering that what I do up here and how I lead up here is just an extension of how I lead uh, in my daily life, and and what what I do up here doesn't matter if my daily life looks like junk. Um, and I, I'm not perfect. I'll be the first to admit that. So will Tara, my wife. Uh, but, but we will, yeah. But, uh, but I, I, to me, this is, this is secondary just for me in terms of leadership. If, if my life doesn't look right at home, or if it doesn't look right with relationships that I'm in with people, uh, then, then to me, this, this is out of line too. And that's what I mean by walking in tension, not just in the sake of church ministry, but in the sake of my life is, yeah. is walking individually with God and then corporately with others as well. I don't know if that answers your question yeah, or not. That's good. But yeah, that's good. Uh, some of you probably have heard me use this quote uh, before, and he was talking about it from a little bit of a different angle. Paul Faulkner, who taught at ACU for a number of years, and as he reflected on what happens in this assembly, uh, and, and what we bring to God and what we bring to one another in this assembly. Paul said, if we are not engaged in a life of worship, and he took it even beyond that to say, not only is all of life worship, but we engage in those very intentional moments of worship in our individual lives, whether it's reading scripture or uh, praying. And he said, if we're not engaging uh, in, in worship on a daily basis, then we have nothing to bring to the assembly. He said, it's kind of like the dry heaves. You have nothing to bring up. Uh, and I think that is so important as we think about, yeah, I think it's so important as we think about that, uh, that rhythm. And again, like I said earlier, uh, I, I, I don't want us to look at our five values and say, okay, let's give greater precedence to one over the other. But I do think worship is so foundational to everything that we're about. So you, you've spoken to both sides and to that rhythm uh, that exists, the tension that exists. And yet every Sunday you are uh, on this stage uh, leading this church in worship, uh, and you do it well. But but I'm I'm curious, uh, how would you define success uh, in terms of what happens on a Sunday morning at Monterey? Basically, if I don't cough or sneeze or drop a microphone, that's a good place to start. But uh, you know that, that's a great. Point. I've never worked in corporate America, and so for those of you who have, take what I say with a grain of salt. But my perspective is that corporate jobs tend to have a definitive standard of success. You know, you get the job, you, you, you meet your quota, you, uh, you, you make the sale, you make a profit. Um, it's got some, some definitive uh, 
uh, goals here. Uh, and what I've learned, just again, in my experience, is that ministry is not always like that. A lot of ministry, in particular worship ministry, I believe, is, is trusting that God is the one who's doing the work and that he's allowing me, he's allowing our teams uh, to be a part of that each week. Um, we often say, you know, God works through us as teams, but he also works in spite of us. And so if we, if we, get, a, if we get a note wrong or if a microphone is dropped or if a slide is missed, the work of salvation has still been done by Jesus. And when we realize that, that takes so much pressure off. Because suddenly the, the, the success of salvation doesn't depend on how well we perform. It, it, it depends solely on Jesus. And when we realize that, that takes a lot of pressure off. And then our job as a worship team and worship teams is we get to just lead the body in enjoying that and in delighting in that and in praising God and thanking him for that which is it's kind, of, it's kind of fun. It's really fun to, to do that and to be a part of that. So, you know, that excellence still matters, right? And we talk about this a lot. Like a lot of our teams spend probably four or five hours a week on their own. That's not even counting how much they are here just working and practicing and tech training and, and different things like that. They just go through a lot to make sure that we serve and lead the bride of Christ well each week. And so part of my defining success, I think it, it's a little probably tricky because it's not as concrete or easy to see. Uh, but I do think that if someone is able to take like a lyric from a song that we sing or maybe a prayer that's prayed or something from a message or sermon or an interaction that they had, like I've seen some pretty cool interactions this morning, even in our worship, people engaging and interacting with other people. If that's what someone walks away with and that impacts their Monday through Saturday, to me, that's success. And it's a little bit harder to define that, but he's allowing me and he's allowing our teams to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, and you and I often talk about the fact that, that our goal, whether we're talking about songs we sing or the sermon I preach, we want uh, each of us to encounter God. And when we encounter God, extraordinary things do happen. Uh, as you were talking about uh, uh, some of those different pieces you referenced, worship teams, tech teams, etc., uh, maybe somebody in the audience today, maybe somebody who's watching online uh, feels this nudge to want to be involved in our worship ministry. Uh, what are some of the needs that exist? What are some areas where people can be involved? Well, we are always looking for people to be involved. And it may not look like that, right? Because you see two basses and two sopranos and two altos and two tenors, and you see someone preaching. and you see. But what you don't see is that Ronnie Roberts is up here by himself today. Or what you may not see is that David Jones has been singing for four weeks in a row and probably needs a break. And so it may not look like we need help or people to be involved, but 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 we do. And so uh, I'll admit, I'm not very good at this uh, because I don't, I don't like to, 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 to me, I don't, I don't like to self-promote a lot or uh, it, it feels that way to me only. I'm not saying that's what it is. It just, it just feels that way. But what I'm realizing is that by not saying something and not talking about opportunities for people to be involved, I'm realizing that I might be robbing people of something that God may be calling them to and they may not be aware of it. And so I'm trying to get better at speaking the opportunities so that people who feel that call can become a part of what we're doing as well. Uh, we, we, we talked about this a little bit, but just with our tech, tech ministries, especially on a day like today where people are uh, maybe more at home than normal with weather and stuff, COVID changed the game on that. And so we, uh, we, we've had in the last probably 18 months or so, 
uh, had to completely redo how we structure our teams, who we have on our teams. Um, and I'll tell you, our best camera crew is a group of teenage girls. Like, they are, they are amazing at what they do. Right now, our director is one of our teenage girls. We've got another camera person this morning who's a teenager. And, and they're, they are the best. They train me on what to do. And they're incredible at doing that stuff. And they've just taken it, and they've made it their own. A lot of people with technical things uh, feel like you have to have all of this training. And we do all the training. There's no, uh, you know, expectation of previous experience at all. So that's, that's one of those things. Another need that we really have is a need for people to run our slides and our lyrics. And it's something that we really... Just <laughs> We have that need. I mean, the, the, and we know how, like, how, how wrong things can go when we don't have our lyric person, right? So if that's something you're interested in, man, let us, let us know that. Um, and, and another need that we have probably are, are, are men to sing, tenors and basses. That's the case in churches across the country that I'm aware of, uh, are just men to sing. And so if that's something that you love to do, we would love for you to be a part of that. So if you're interested in serving, and this is something that Barry mentioned we're going to be doing the next several weeks, there are a few ways that you can do that today and let us know uh, that you're interested. And so you can go to our app. If you have our app downloaded on your device, there's a link, and a, a button you can press that says Get Involved that takes you to an involvement form where you can let us know uh, exactly what you're interested in. And so if you're online today, go ahead and visit that. You can do that. If you're in the room, go ahead and do that. You can also scan this QR code, and it takes you directly to a page on our website where you can click on any of our ministry areas and get involved. And that QR code is on the back of our bulletins as well, whether you have a paper copy or digital copy. And so if you have that QR code, feel free to go ahead and scan that. And then uh, the final way would just be uh, the paper copies that are available out at the info desk. And so if you are interested in that as well, you can go ahead and fill those out uh, at the info desk. And, and, And this is not just, in case I'm not saying this well, this is not just for worship ministries. This is something that, again, Barry mentioned we're going to be doing the next several weeks. And so today you may not be feeling the call or a nudge, but as you pray about that over the next several weeks, uh, this opportunity is open. And it may not be worship. It may be children's ministry. It may be senior adult ministry. It may be one of our community or uh, global mission efforts. We would, uh, we, we just hear us say, we want you. We want you. A lot of people like to be personally invited. This is me personally inviting you, saying, we need you. We, we need you to be a part of what God is doing here. So please don't sit back and be a spectator, get involved and active in what God may be calling you to do and let us help you get plugged in that way. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just echo that as well. Uh, many of you are involved in more than one ministry right now, and we are so very, very grateful. Uh, but to challenge all of us to be involved in ministry and quite frankly to uh, just help us update our, our, our database, uh, we'll be encouraging you to fill out one of those forms uh, throughout this month of January. And so if you want to do so today, if you want to do so in the weeks to come, uh, please, please do so. Uh, Sam, maybe 30 seconds in closing. Uh, if you had a word of challenge or encouragement as we think about worship, uh, what would it be? I think the biggest thing for me, and we're going to, one of the things we're doing in our midweek connect, not, not this week, but next week, is we're, we're going to have an acapella worship class where we're going to be talking about singing, and we're going to be talking about where we get our love for singing as a church and as a tribe, and so I'm really excited about that, but, but I think the biggest thing that I would say is sing. A lot of us don't like to sing. A lot of us feel like it's not for us or we don't sound good. 
um, but, but there has been research that has been done that shows the effects not just on the mind and the heart of music, but also what it does generationally. And so if my kids are watching me sing, or if your kids are watching you sing, what does that say? And so I think there's, there's way more to say about that, but I would, I would just say sing. Treat it as a spiritual discipline that you may not be fully comfortable with, but like any discipline, we practice and as we practice, hopefully, we begin to become a little bit more familiar with it. And so if you don't gravitate to singing naturally, uh, you might try it. And if you do, lead the way for the rest of us who want to hear those voices as well. Amen. Well, let's thank Sam for sharing with us this morning. And fill out the form. To and fill out the form. That would be the other thing. And let me close by saying just a couple of things Uh, regarding our corporate worship gathering, because I do believe something extraordinary happens when God's people uh, come together. Uh, We encounter and worship the God of the universe, and we encourage one another. And so might I suggest that worship, both in this assembly and in our daily lives, begins with a hungry heart. Uh, We were created to worship, and so hearts that are transfixed by the majesty of God, hearts that fall in a holy hush at the awesome holiness of God, hearts that burst with jubilant praise at the goodness of God, hearts that are hungry to know God. And may I suggest that worship results in change. When I surrender my life to God, when we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we are changed. When we come to this assembly truly seeking God, that God has all sorts of room to work on us, to transform us, to renew us. That doesn't happen when I come with my agenda. It only happens when I come with a heart that is hungry for God. And so to use Paul's language again, that's what it means to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Words that led Charles Wesley to write in his great hymn, Love Divine, Finish then thy new creation, pure, unspotted, may we be. Let us see our whole salvation perfectly secured by thee, changed from glory into glory, until in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. He's indeed worthy of our praise. And so we're going to close today by just singing some great songs of praise to our God. Let's stand together as we sing. I worship with all of my heart.